Good morning. I tell you, the funny thing is, is like every time we do a bumper video, all through the book of Joseph, we went through that study, I got up before it went on every single time. So I was over there today, I was like, uh, just remind yourself that when the bumper comes on, like I told Allie, I said, make sure I wait for the bumper, and then here I was, I was up here ready to go, and I was like, oh, well, we got to go back down and be awkward, but um, anyway, it is good to be with y'all today. Uh, we are taking a step away from the Mark series, but not really taking a step away from the Mark series. I'll explain in a second. So how many of y'all have ever heard of the 99 Club? Anybody? Well, some of y'all have and you don't know it, but it's sort of a um, a, a Madden NFL thing. So every year, the oldest, like not the oldest, but the greatest football game made, the longest running football game made, that's a video game, since Tecmo Bowl. Some of y'all remember Tecmo Bowl, right? Like, doot, 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 that kind of stuff. Well, Madden, uh, John Madden started making this video game, and ever since then, they call the 99 Club, because what the 99 Club means is that there are certain players throughout the history of this game that have had a rating of 99. 99. And what it goes into that is they take the different attributes that each player has. Like they have this, this formula where you put in their strength, their speed, their vertical leap, um, their quickness, the ability to catch, the ability to throw. And somehow that comes out with a rating. And every year there are very few people. And so throughout the history of the game, you could probably say there's maybe 30, 40 people that have been like included in the 99 club. Like, for instance, there's some people, Barry Sanders. Y'all know Barry Sanders, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Jerry Rice. Mike Allstott was my hero. I didn't realize he was in the 99 club, but he was a fullback. I used to want to be like him. Then I realized I was 5'5", five five and it wasn't going to happen, okay? So then Peyton Manning, another good guy right there. He's in the 99 club. Uh, Clemson is representing the 99 club. DeAndre Hopkins, he's in the 99. And South Carolina's not far behind. Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, there we go. We win again, finally, yay. Okay, anyway, so Stephon Gilmore, he's in the 99 club, and what is interesting about this is that even though they make the club one year, it doesn't mean they make the club the next year. That every year, they reevaluate their, their attributes, attributes, and they get a new score. So just because you're 99 one year, it doesn't mean that you were like that at all times. And as I was thinking about that and we get into this series, it's like one thing I notice is that on Madden, there's never anybody that's 100 because they found that nobody was worthy enough to be perfect. And I found that very interesting. And secondly, I thought about who would be worthy. And of course, you know, the answer we're in church, Jesus, right? There's only one person who would be above the 99 club. He would own it because if you took all his attributes and it put it together and somehow in this formula, it would be great. He would be 100. He would be the king. And so as we go through the series of Mark, as we walk through this book, every couple of weeks, uh, we're going to take a step to the side and the, the campus pastors, the preaching pastors, we're going to be talking about the attributes of God. We're going to be talking about awesome, the character of God. And I love this. And so here's one of the things. As we start, I want us to go back. Last week we talked in Mark. We talked about three different people that Jesus had an interaction with, okay? He had an interaction with a leper. He had interaction with the paralytic. And he had interaction with a tax collector. And all three of these, we see that with the leper, Jesus touched him and he healed him. Then we see that with the paralytic. Jesus told him his sins are forgiven and then get up and walk. 
And then Jesus dined with the tax collector. And as I looked at this, that would be easy for us to be able to look at this and say, okay, well, we get the leper. We get why Jesus spent time with the leper. Like, he healed him. He was sick his whole life, right? Jesus loves people. He heals people. We get that. Even the paralytic, this guy's been paralyzed his whole life. So, of course, he's worthy of Jesus' time. But then we look at the tax collector, and this guy is what, in most of his days, considered a crook. So what is the common denominator between these three people? The reason why Jesus was there is because he understood and he knew more than anybody else that all three of these people, different walks of life, that we as human beings would look with different standards, okay? We would look as the leper in a different category, the paralytic and the tax collector. We would look at them in three different categories if we were looking at them from a church view today. But Jesus looked at them with one common denominator, and that was that they were in need of grace. They were in need of grace, And so today, the first attribute of God that shows the character of who he is, is we're talking about how awesome he is, is grace. Now, Timothy Keller, one of John's favorite people, he always talks about Timothy Keller. I was like, well, just following footsteps, let's talk about him too. So he says this, he says, a synonym for being born again and saved is the understanding of the grace of God. He says a synonym for being born again and saved is understanding the grace of God. There was this lady, Mary Johnson. She lost her son. He was killed by another guy. And the other guy's name was O'Shea Israel. And O'Shea had killed her son. And she knew that her son, Mary knew her son wasn't perfect, but he had gotten some stuff he shouldn't have been. But O'Shea killed him. And she went to the court hearing when he was finally sentenced. And she stood before him and the judge after everybody came up and they berated O'Shea, told him how awful he was, he deserved life in jail. And she stood there at the mic and she said, I just want to hug you. And I want you to know that today you have gained a mother and you have become my son. And I thought about the power of that. What possesses somebody? What gives them the motivation to stand and do that in that moment? This was her son that was killed, and she stands before the murderer, and she says, I just want to hug you. And more than that, today I have become your mother. You have become my son. And then I think about Operation Akua. Nate Saint was this missionary down in Ecuador, and they went to go treat the Wadandi people. Went not treat them. They went to go and tell the people about Jesus, the Wadandi people. And on January 3rd, 1956, he went down there. Um, no, in September, they went down there, and they started meeting this unmet people group. And Nate ended up, after they met with them, the first day they thought things were going well. Things like six days later, the Wadandi people killed him and four other people. Um, the great part about that is that his wife went back and ministered to these people even after they killed her husband, Rachel. And then his son, Steve, went back to work with the Wadandi people and he was baptized by the very same man who killed his father. And as I thought about this, I says, what possesses somebody to do this? These are two different stories of people acting out of the nature of human beings. Let's be real. What happens if somebody were to kill my son? I don't know if I could stand and say, hey, I have become your father. 
And if somebody killed him, I don't know if I could go back into that tribe and look at them and even care about their salvation. But these people were moved by a common thread. And that's that they understood the grace of God. They understood the character of the grace of God. And so there's three things I just want us to look at today as we go through these. Three questions I want us to ask ourselves. And I want us to really grasp this as we work through this. So number one, what is grace? What is grace? What is biblical grace? This was hard for me to understand. I I think I can say this. We're in safe company. I never quite liked the word grace, okay? I never liked it, okay? Uh, My grandmother, who I loved, her name was Grace, but she was nothing of grace. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. Like uh, I, I saw her one time, somebody broke into her house next to hers and she went after him with a piece of rebar. So that, that, that she didn't uh, exemplify the word grace. And I always heard that word and I thought it was so ugly because it was, re- reminded me of my grandma. She smoked like five packs of cigarettes a day, talked like this, you know, and all this stuff. And, and I just, so I never got that. So I was, I, was, I was marred by that. But when we look at grace, we go back to the Old Testament start. What is grace? And grace really starts in the Old Testament. The first place that we're going to see it in the Old Testament is Genesis 6, 8. We're going to run through a lot of scripture today. So first of all, it starts out in Genesis 6. And this is the first time we see this word grace shows up. And it's Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. This is talking about how when God looked over the earth and he saw how wicked everybody was and he said, but however, Noah found favor with the Lord. That Hebrew word there, because what we get in English is not the original language the Bible was written in. The Old Testament was Hebrew and and that word there was hen, hen. It really was hen. And so that word is used right there. Okay, so then the next time we see it is flipped to the next passage, 33.8. And it said, so Esau said, what do you mean by this whole possession I meant? To find favor with you, my Lord, he answered. This is talking about Jacob. Now, what do we know about Jacob? Jacob was a, he was a deceiver. From the time that he was born, he deceived his brother Esau to get the birthright. He went to Laban, and now Laban did deceive him, but then he deceived Laban to get the flocks that he got. And so after years and years, he's going back to meet his brother. And this is what he tells his brother. He's like, I want to find favor with you, my Lord. Two different times it's used, same word, hen, which means like favor slash grace, like gracious, but it's two different contexts. The first one, we're talking about God looking at Noah, right? And you would look at it as Noah had lived in some type of life that was different than everybody else. So God looked on him and said, okay, there's some favor here. But then the same word is used whenever it talks about what Jacob was asking for. But this time the context is different because what he's asking for is is he's asking for this favor based off of what he has done wrong. So he's asking for this idea of grace. And it's, it's the same words used, but it brings on different meanings. And for so long, we would look at that as, as two different things, but it's not. Because deep behind that, it, it is talking about the grace of God. So even when he looked at Noah, that favor was grace. And Jacob was asking for grace from his brother. 
All right. So here we go down, and now you go to Exodus 34, 6. We see this idea of God for the first time calling himself gracious. So the Israelites, they build this golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain, and while they're gone, they're like, oh, he's been gone for a while. Let's get all our gold, and let's make an image, and let's worship it. We want a God that's tangible. We want a God that's touchable. They build this golden calf, and they start to worship it, and then he comes down, and God then proclaims this. He, he, he is talking to Moses. He says, the Lord has passed in front of him to proclaim, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God. So we see this idea where he starts to talk about himself, where he literally talks about, he says five different things in this passage, but he starts to talk about himself. And one of the things he says, he's compassionate, but he says he is gracious. So what does it mean when we talk about the graciousness of God? We go down and we look same, same different word used. Go to Psalms 4.1. In this prayer, he says, Answer me when I call, God who vindicates me. You free me from my affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So he's asking for this grace based off of his iniquity. He's asking God to hear him and vindicate him. So to be gracious to him. And then the next we see 6.2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaken. So he's asking for this grace because of his weakness. And then he goes on. I love this one, David, 51.5. Be gracious to me, O God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. And we know the grace he's asking for there is based off of his sin with Bathsheba. So he's asking for this idea of grace, this, this um, hen hanan, and He's just coming at it from the point of that we see that grace takes on a different meaning than that just word and favor in the Old Testament. It's something more to it because right here, even in the Psalms, they're crying out that they're asking for something that they don't deserve. They are asking for something that they don't deserve and they know they don't deserve it. Keller puts it this way, to best understand what grace is, he says, grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. That's what grace is. Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. So when we look at Noah, even though he said that he found favor, was Noah really deserving before God? No. And God wasn't obligated to show him grace. Same way with Jacob. Jacob was asking for something he didn't deserve, and he knew it. And he was asking for it from an unobligated giver, that he had wronged his brother. He had every earthly right not to forgive his brother. But he showed him grace. And then David in 51.5, when he's praying, and he uses that word, he's asking God to blot out his sin based off of nothing he did. And he knows he's not obligated to do it, but he's asking for him to give that to him. So grace, when it says that God is gracious, it's this, this truth that God grants us favor when we are undeserving and he is not obligated at all to give it to us. That's us. That's us for everybody. Everybody is entitled to grace, to the grace of God. But the truth is, we have to be determined what we're going to do with that grace. Now, the second thing I want us to look at is now that we understand what grace is, it's like God, it is, the, it is favor to an undeserving person given by an unobligated giver. So 
how does he show us his grace? And one of the best examples I love this is Romans 5, 8. Uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He says, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we'll stop there. Because what this is telling us is that when it comes to the graciousness of God, is that we have to understand the perfection, the holiness of God. That God is perfect. That God is great. But yet, while we are still sinners... He was showing us grace. So to understand the graciousness of God and how he shows us to it in our own life is that while we are sinners, the thing that God hates more than anything, that we can't be in his presence with it, he is willing to die for us knowing that we are sinners and we're going to continue to sin. That's grace. That is grace. And he gives us that through his son, Jesus. That is how that grace is made available to us, that God sends his son, he dies on the cross for our sins so that we can know eternal life. Grace. We have to understand before we can know anything about Jesus, the starting point before we can come into a relationship and truly grasp the goodness of God and our need for for forgiveness of sins is we have to understand this idea of grace. That there's nothing I can do, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing we can do to deserve it. Because the first little sin separates us from the complete perfection of God. And from that first time, whether it's picking your nose when your mom tells you not to, or whether it's lying, or whatever it is still, and that first little sin completely means that we need the full grace of God. Because we fall short. And he goes on in this passage here in Romans 5, 8 to talk about not only that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, but talking about the idea of that um, is through that we're reconciled and that we all do it, that we all have sinned. So I ask myself as, as we look at this, so if we understand grace, If we grasp the truth of grace, if we grasp what grace is, we grasp how he showed us grace that while we were yet sinners, meaning that when Jesus knew everything I would ever do, every sin I would ever commit, every sin you would commit, he still found me worthy to die for. Exactly. Thank you, Bettis. My first amen. There we go. No, and so that's the great thing about it is that if we truly grasp that, it's meaning that while Jesus knew that I would cuss his name, that I'd do the things that I've done in this long list, he still found me worthy to die for. And he was not obligated to do that, but he did it out of his love. So the grace of God is, is, is this, this, this him giving us something we don't deserve, and he's not obligated to it. But he does it because he loves for us. Because he loves us unconditionally. So I asked myself as I was preparing this, in light of that, in light of the fact that God is a God that is gracious, that he shows us grace, that he's lived out the grace, he just didn't talk the talk, he walked the walk. That even though he said, I am a gracious God in Exodus, he showed his full grace by going to the cross and taking on our sin so that we could be with him forever. How often do we see that in church where people talk the talk but don't walk the walk? Jesus wasn't one of those. Jesus said, all right, this is what I'm going to do, and he did it. Even when it got hard, he took it all the way. So I asked myself, in light of that, what role should grace play in my life? If I truly grasp grace, how should I live different? And I came back to this. It's like, number one, we should live in it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is Paul. 
Yeah, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness. So I love this because Paul was talking about this famous line where he talks about this thorn in his side. That he has this thorn that continues to to just bother him and pester him. And as believers, we all have what we identify as our thorn. We all have maybe this sin that we struggle with. Different people have discussed throughout the ages what this thorn was in Paul's side. Some said it was epilepsy. Some said it was his inability to speak very well. But he talked about this thorn. But this is what he said that, that Jesus told him. He said, listen, regardless of your thorn in your side that is causing you to stumble, that's causing you to feel inadequate, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And I really dwelled on this because I've heard this passage over and over again in my life. And, you know, you say it, my grace is sufficient of you. And I really wanted to, to get what does that mean? I don't use the word sufficient in everyday talk. It's like, Allie, that dinner was sufficient. <laughs> and she looks at me and says, uh, you know, whatever, you know. But I, I don't use that word. And, and, and it really means enough, that my grace is enough. And so for Paul, what, what he was saying is like, listen, it's like regardless of the downsides, the, the things that you think keep you from being inadequate to serve me that could, that could get you to focus on yourself and not me, understand that my grace is enough for you. That my grace is enough for you, that it is enough that I died that I paid the price, and that I give you life. So instead of dwelling on the things that your shortcomings, dwell on the things that I have allowed you to do that you get through the Spirit. I think that's relatable. I know for all of us, we have that thorn. One of my thorns is I deal with anxiety, and it's not a day that goes by that there's some type of anxious thought. Or I, I just tell you, reality is I hate bridges. Like I don't know why. I hate bridges. Like, I used to drive down the road all the time over bridges and just, like, hang out and just something happened in life. And I got to the point where I get panicky on bridges. I hate bridges. I know it's weird, okay? You know, I see a bridge and I start thinking, what if I, you know, all this stuff. And it's this thorn that I have in my side constantly and I pray all the time. I'm like, God, why? Like, why do I hate a bridge? Like, I've driven over these bridges my whole life and it's like I get so panicky like oh I'm, everything's gonna end and i've prayed that prayer for 10 years straight why god do i have this and then i get this idea that god says listen everything else that i've given you is enough you're gonna have this thorn but don't focus on the thorn focus on me because even though you have this one thing that you struggle with, look at all the great things that I have done in your life. It's sufficient. And I think for us, whatever your thorn is, instead of dwelling on that thing every single day, and I get to the point that now when I'm driving down the road and I start getting panicky, I just stop. And I just think about the goodness of God and his power and how he's greater over everything. And no matter what I face, Jesus Christ is better. And so it moves me forward. And I try not to let my anxiety stop me from doing anything. I head it face on. Now, sometimes heading it face on doesn't mean I'm going through whistling like, <laughs> sometimes heading it face on means like, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, you know? You know what I'm saying? 
But I hit it face on because God is greater than any thorn I face. And so I don't know what your thorn is, but understand this is that God is greater than that. Instead of giving in to the thorn, fight back to the thorn. Focus on who God is and who he made you to be because his grace is sufficient enough. But not only that, it's like we, we live in this. We live in this idea of realizing that we live out of it, okay? 1 Corinthians 15.10, this is what Paul says again. 1 Corinthians 15.10, did he do? Roll that beautiful Bane footage. <laughs> All righty then, are we frozen? No? All right, anyway, so it goes on to say, uh, I didn't have it written down here, huh? So how are y'all doing today? Y'all good? Yeah, glad to see you. Everybody come out today. We'll be back next week. Um, anyway, so basically of what it goes through, I can look it up real quick, 1 Corinthians. Paul was talking about this idea of that because the view of grace, he has worked harder because of the grace in me. So he talks about this and he says that because of the grace of, that God has given me, I work harder out of that grace. That in the view of the sins that God has forgiven in my life, in the view of the grace that God has showed me, it changes how I live because I live differently because of the grace that God has shown me. And not only that, hey, there we go, but the grace of God, I am what I am, and it's his grace toward was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Meaning that because when he grasped it, he grasped the, the grace that God showed him, it took him to the next level. He worked harder, not because um, work and earned him any more grace, but it was out of love that he worked harder because he got it. In the same way, when we realize the true love that Jesus Christ gives us, it should propel us to a different level. It should kick us into a next gear. I'm not a runner, y'all can tell. Um, but runners get to this thing where they hit the wall. It's called the runner's wall. I've never been there myself, but I've heard about it. I've read stories, you know. Okay, but anyway, they say it's the wall to where, where you want to quit. But always during that wall, there's this next gear they hit because there's something that pushes them forward. There's something that keeps them going. And so he says, listen, he's like, because he gets it, being okay isn't enough. I want to live the best that I can because of the grace of God. That I want to work harder, not because it earns me any more favor with God. I want to work harder because he gave me that grace that I didn't deserve. And then lastly, I want us to go to Luke 6, 27. That we live it out. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you. Next, keep on going down. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other. And also, if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do for the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is, to, is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. All right, go back. Stop right there. Go back. Right there. Nope. Up. Boom. Boom. There we go. All right. If you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? That word right there, credit, is Harris. Harass. And when I was thinking about Harrison, that's what I was thinking about when I was saying, how do you say this? Like Harris. And that word right there literally means grace. 
So he says, if you love those who love you, what grace is that even being shown? Because they love you too. Even sinners love those who love them. Now go forward, next verse. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is to you? Going on, say, what kind of grace is that? Even sinners do that. Sinners are good to people that are good to them. Go on to the next. And if you lend to those who you expect to receive from, what credit, what kind of grace is that? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. Next verse. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend to them expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. So he's going through this, and Jesus is telling him, he's like, listen, be gracious. What good is it if we are only gracious and show grace to the people that agree with us? What good is it, you know, if if we only show grace to the people that look like us or smell like us or serve like us, even worship like us? He says, when you do that for his graciousness, he shows his graciousness. In the same way, that's how we should live. If we view and we grasp the truth of the grace of God, this is what I want us to get, it should change how we live. It should change when we realize that the gift we were given by Jesus Christ, we did nothing to deserve it. We should be wanting to give that thing out to everybody. Because when it transforms our life, we should be willing to give it to everybody around us. Um, this is one of the things I think about every time I think about grace. It's a story. I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it. But when the Hispanics first started moving to Saluda about 2002, 2003, I was in high school. Um, I didn't like it. You know, I'm good old redneck. Hey, they take our jobs, whatever you want to say, you know. Um, it's like, this is our town. Why are they taking it over? And I'll never forget, I saw a Mexican flag on Main Street, and it just made me mad. And there's some things that I did that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand before God in judgment one day about. That I'm gonna, I have to own up to that. And that's some of the truth that I have to realize is because um, I just didn't care. And then as I became a believer, um, there was still racism. Even though I believe in God, I, I'm American. I got the right to want my land and want not other people in my land. And the sad part is that rolled over into church life some. That we could stand behind the pew and say it was okay to only love people that look like you. I only show grace to people that look like you because that's, that's, we're okay to do that. Um, Allie, when we were first dating, there was a mission trip with our church going to Nicaragua. And she came to me and she said, I want to go to Nicaragua. Being the man of the relationship, I put my foot down. No, you're not. Because I didn't want her, I wasn't going and it was, well, I don't even know how far away it is. It's a three and a half hour flight, a whole nother country. And I wouldn't be there because for some reason I, I was going to be her protector. You know, I'm like, I'm her hero, all five, five of me, you know, and nobody's going to mess with her. And it was just this idea. I did not want her to go. And I said, you're not going. Well, she got on the plane and she went. And, um, <laughs> And the whole time, like, I'm tracking the plane, making sure it lands, and there's just something about it. And I was, like, so nervous the whole time. And I couldn't figure out why it bothered me so bad for her to go. And then I realized at some point when she came back, um, she said, you need to go. 
And I said, no, I'm not going. So the next year, I was on the plane, too. And uh, I, I went to Nicaragua. And God changed my whole view about how I viewed people. Um, I saw the conditions they lived in. And to this day, the thing that got me the most is we go to this village called El Chalway, and their house was a tent, and it was thundering and lightning. And I mean, there's, there's, there's like holes like coming through the plastic and the cardboard. And I look over to my right, and there's a, there's a child about the age of baby Bettis. And his bed was a cardboard box. And what God convicted me of is that the reason why I didn't want Allie to go the first time was their lives were not worthy enough for me to risk my girlfriend and my future wife. That their lives were not worthy enough for them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know his grace, for me to risk my wife. And I was wrong for that. And it took me going over there and meeting people and realizing the, the view they were in is that it is not up to me to decide who's worthy of the grace of God. It's not my decision. It's not my call. And it changed how I viewed. And I got back and I viewed the, the Hispanics living in Saluda differently. I mean, I viewed them differently because it was at that point in my life I realized that we got to get over our, our um, patriotism, whatever it is, and think that we dictate who is worthy of the grace of God. There's people all around us that we have put labels on and who's worthy and who's not worthy. Who can come to this church? Who can't come to this church? They, they don't look like me. They're too mean. And, and we label that they're not worthy of the grace of God. But it got to me in my heart that neither am I. So why would I try to hold something that everybody needs? So this is my prayer that as we talk about this, it's so hard to talk about the grace of God in one day. I mean, there's so many things that go on, but as we look at it, this is just what I want to take away. Understand the grace of God is something that God gave us that we did not deserve, and he was not obligated to give it to us. He created man, put him in the garden. Adam's like, yay, this is great. Boom. And then sin entered the world and it got worse. So he was not obligated to redeem mankind. But he did. And so as we go out, let it live in our life. Realize that because of his forgiveness in our life and his grace, that we can know something great. We can live above. We can live differently. We aren't bound to our thorns. But then secondly, I want you to, as you go out this week, think about who is it the people that you know every day. And we do it every day because we, we seem to stereotype people. We judge people even when we don't mean to it. But who are the people in your life that you've probably deemed that's not worthy of the grace of God? Who is it? Who is it that maybe needs to see the grace of God? And so as we go out this week, let's be real. Let's be real. Sitting around the table at lunch, be open and share. Share about the time that you judge somebody wrongly, that you deem somebody unworthy. And then secondly, sitting around the table, ask each other, who is it that I need to show grace this week? Not because they deserve it from me, but because Jesus Christ gave it for them. Let us pray. God, we thank you. Um, the deep subject of grace, uh, I can't say I, I truly grasp it or why. I feel unworthy, but I do thank you for the grace that you have given me in my life. Um, my prayer is for us as a church that we will not be the type of people that deem who is worthy to receive your grace. But God, I, I pray that in view of it, we'll be the type of people that goes out and gives a much of it, as much of it away as we can.
because you died for every single person on this earth to have that chance to know the gift of grace. And I pray that when people hear about it, they will receive it. And I pray for us in here that maybe we have always known that Jesus died for us, but we didn't understand the grace. And maybe this will be the first time in our lives that we actually take that grace and we apply it to our lives and we just start following you because of it. We choose to believe it and we live differently because we know that we were undeserving of anything that you've given us. And so we live a little bit differently. God, I just pray as a church, we'll just continue to be real. Fall before you here today in these next few songs and just, uh, be real for ourselves. Have I got the grace of God in my life? Do I grasp it? Do I understand it? Is it changing how I live? We just ask you to be with us as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.